This morning we're going to talk about truth seekers. Truth seekers. Uh, a few moments ago, Eric read for us from, read for us from John chapter 8. And I want us to think especially in verse, about verse 32 as we introduce our lesson for today. Where Jesus says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus says, if you know the truth, you'll be free. And if you look at the context of what he's talking about, he's talking about being free from sin, being free from the shackles of Satan, being free from the Old Testament law, being free to be free in Jesus Christ, and that means being free from our sins. But in order to be free from your sins, you have got to know the truth. In order for us to be saved, we have got to know the truth. In order for us to be pleasing to God, we have got to know the truth. And so everyone here, if they're interested in their salvation, if they're interested in pleasing God, they need to be known as someone who is a truth seeker. To truly understand what it means to be saved and how to be saved, to truly know what someone or what God wants you to do in order to live the Christian life, to be pleasing with Him in worship, in church leadership, and everything that we do in faith and practice, we have got to know what the truth is on the subject. And therefore, each and every one of us need to be truth seekers. The Apostle Paul reminds us in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21 that we're supposed to prove all things. Literally, we're supposed to test all things to see if it's in keeping with God's Word. John reminds us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, not to believe everything that somebody tells you. He uses the word spirit there, not believe every spirit, but test those spirits to make sure the things they are saying are the truth. And he goes on and says, because there are many false teachers out in the world. So we need to be people who are constantly seeking for the truth. I hope the reason why you are a Christian today, I hope the reason why you are a member of this particular congregation of the Lord's people is because you are a truth seeker. We need to always be asking questions and we need to be questioning answers. We need to find out for ourselves what the truth is. Each and every one of us need to be truth seekers. And that's so very important because of what Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 32. You shall know the truth, and it is that truth that will make you free. So what I want us to do this morning is look at this from two different aspects. First of all, I want us to discuss where you will not find truth. And then I want us to spend the remaining remainder of our time talking about where you can find truth. So first of all this morning... Uh, let's look at the wrong way to find truth. And once again, I apologize for the, how the slides are kind of miskewed here. But when the regular group gets back next Sunday, we'll hopefully we'll have it in the right place. But first of all, as we think about the wrong way to find truth, we need to understand and appreciate the fact that what I feel is right is never the right way to find truth. There are those in the religious world today who base their Christianity and base their salvation upon what they feel. They have a feeling that's just better felt than told, and they use that feeling as their final truth. But we need to understand that feelings can mislead us. Feelings can sometimes be false. Feelings can sometimes be, bought, be based on false ideas, and therefore feelings are never a good substitute 
for what is truth. The Bible puts it this way. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It is possible for us to feel something that is as right as rain, but it could cause us to lose our soul. Jeremiah reminds us in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. In other words, mankind and what I feel or what I think is not the final authority as far as what truth is. Think about this from a logical standpoint. You may feel one way and I may feel another way. Those are diametrically opposed to each other. How can both of those be true? Somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong or maybe both of you are wrong. But there's no way, if you're feeling one way that's totally opposite from my way, there's no way logically that can be truth. We should never simply trust feelings as the final absolute truth if we're going to be truth seekers. We know the Apostle Paul reminds us in the first verse of chapter 23 of, uh, chapter, um, uh, uh, 23 of Acts when he says that I live before God up until this point with a clear good conscience. In other words, the Apostle Paul was persecuting the church. He was imprisoning people. He was having people put to death. But he said his conscience was just as clear as it could be. Why? Because he was feeling that he was right, but it was not based upon God's truth. A little bit later on in chapter 26 and verse 9, he says, I thought within myself to do many things that were contrary to the Word of God. He thought within himself that he was doing the right thing. He was feeling he was doing the right thing, but it was contrary to the Word of God. Over in 2 Kings chapter 5, we have the story of Naaman. And Naaman went to the prophet to be cleansed from his leprosy. And when the servant of the prophet came to Naaman and told him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times, he became angry. And he says, well, I thought, I had this feeling inside that the prophet would come out and he would raise his hand over me and he would say some things and I'd be healed from the leprosy. He said, this doesn't make any sense to me to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. He was depending on his own feelings. He was not depending upon the word of the prophet of God. We need to be very careful that we don't use what we feel to be the right thing as our absolute final truth that will make us free. But also we need to keep in mind it's not what the majority thinks. You know, it's hard in the religious world today to be in the minority, as oftentimes we find ourselves. We look at the rest of the religious world and we see how that the religious world as a whole may believe a particular thing or may take part in a particular activity may support a particular person's rights that the Bible speaks against. And oftentimes we even feel ashamed to be in the minority. But we need to understand that being in the minority is not wrong, that oftentimes just because you're in the majority does not mean that you are right. There are several examples of this in the Bible. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, we have the story of Noah. Think about that. It was Noah and eight other people or seven other people that were in the minority, and then you had the rest of the entire world that were in the majority. It was Noah and his family against the entire world. Now, if 
majority is found in truth, if it's the most votes that decide what is true, then in this case, Noah was totally wrong. But we know how the story ends. We know the great flood came, and Noah and his family were saved, but the rest of the world was destroyed, even though they were in the majority. We have the story of Elijah as he was dealing with the people of Israel, how that they were following after Baal instead of following after God. And King Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. So Elijah went and hid from these people because he was trying to protect his life. And he was so down. He felt like he was the last person on the face of the earth that still believed in God. But even if he was the last person on the face of the earth who still believed in God, who was right? Was it Elijah or was it the rest of the world at that time? He may have been just one person, but he was still the right person. He was still the one who was following God while the rest of the world was following someone else. God later on told him not to be discouraged that there were 7,000 others who had not uh, knelt their knee to Baal, that he wasn't the only one. But still, in the grand scheme of things, 7,001 is still a minority. But yet, who was right? Who was really the one that was following truth? It was Elijah and those 7,000 other people who were following God and the rest of the nation Even though they were in the majority, they were wrong. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, how that there's a broad way and a wide road that leads to destruction, but there is a narrow gate and a small way that leads to life. In other words, the majority will be wrong if they simply go for being the majority. It's the minority that is going to be saved. So we should never look for truth in what the minority thinks. But also, and this may sound odd to you, but we should never, ever go simply by what the preachers say. Like I said, that may sound odd coming from me because I hope when I stand before you that you will believe what I have to say, that you'll pay attention to what I say. But folks, you need to understand that not only myself, but all preachers are human. All preachers make mistakes. It may be that I've studied something and studied it very hard, but because of my own preconceived notions, because of my own feelings, because of other things, maybe I'm teaching you something that the Bible doesn't clearly teach. And so you need to be a truth seeker, and you need to follow what you need to follow from your study of God's Word. Over in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, we have an example of this. The Apostle Paul was preaching to a group of people, in the city of Berea. And the Bible tells us that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures diligently to see if the things that the Apostle Paul was saying was true. You see, those noble Bereans were truth seekers. They didn't care if the Apostle Paul was the one doing the preaching. They were going to look in God's book and find out for themselves if something was true. Sometimes a preacher may mislead you. Sometimes a preacher may make simply a mistake that was wrong. I know sometimes up here, because I have my head so full of things, that sometimes I may be off a verse when I quote a verse, or maybe say it's first something when it's second something. Those are just presentation mistakes. But my point is, you need to always make sure that you are truly following the truth and not just simply letting the preacher decide what truth is for you. 
The reason why there is so much confusion in the religious world today is because there are too many people who go after the preacher and what he says or some other religious leader instead of finding out the truth for themselves. Keep in mind, it was the quote-unquote religious leaders of the day who crucified Jesus Christ. But also as we think about where not to find truth, we also need to think about the fact that it's not where your traditions are. Traditions in and of themselves are not bad things. Traditions are simply things that have been handed down. And uh, we even have traditions in this, uh, in this church that are not in and of themselves wrong. Uh, we have the worship service in a certain order. We could change that order if we want to, but we've gotten to a habit being a certain way. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's scriptural. We have certain traditions about dress code. We have certain traditions about what doors we come in. We have certain traditions even where we sit. Traditions in and of themselves are not wrong because we've been doing something a certain way for a certain time. It doesn't make them specifically wrong, but they are wrong if they go against and are contrary to the Word of God. We need to understand and appreciate that traditions are not the final authority, are not the final truth. Jesus reminds us of this in Mark chapter 7. He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. The Pharisees that were living during the time of Jesus Christ had come up with all of these traditions. The purpose of it was to make them more holy. The purpose of it is to make them closer to God. But in what they have done, they started binding these traditions upon men where the Bible did not bind, and therefore they made their traditions in place of God's Word, and they made the Word of God of none effect. The biggest problem with the religious world today is that too many people are following traditions that have been handed down from generation to generation that have no basis in God's Word, but instead you're not going to find truth there in simply tradition. But there's one last place I want us to think about where we can't find truth, and that is what you believe to be personal revelations from God. You're not going to find God's truth just because you think God has spoken to you. We need to look at a very important verse and look at the truths that are taught in this verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The book of Hebrews begins, it says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the Father by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now there's some very important truths in that verse. First of all, it's pointed out the fact that there was a time in the past that God in various times and in various ways spoke to people by the prophets. And what he's doing there, he's combining all the different ways that God talked to people in the past. 
We know that when Adam and Eve were created, that they had such a relationship with God that the Bible, in a figurative way, has God walking through the garden talking to them. So close was their personal revelation with God. Later on, we go through the book of Genesis, and we have God talking directly to the heads of families, such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had such a relationship with God that God revealed their will directly to them. Later on, as you get into the book of Exodus, you have God picking a specific spokesman in the name of Moses to reveal his will to the people. And after Moses established the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, he spoke to the people through prophets and various other means. But the point that the writer of Hebrews is making as he's talking to Jews who were used to this type of thing, he says God used to do it that way, but now in these last days, in other words, the days that we are living in now, the Christian age, God speaks to us by His Son. We get our information, we get our truth from His Son. But what's interesting, as you look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, Nowhere do you ever find him talking about, well, you wait and get some revelation for someone from what God wants you to do. You wait and let God speak to you directly. No, notice what he says. In John chapter 6 and verse 63, he says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He goes on and says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. And of course, we're aware of the fact that he used his apostles, men who were picked by him, to continue his word after he left this earth. But he said this about them. He said, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, what the, book, the writer of Hebrews is saying, that everything that we need to know as far as what truth is and what we need to know about salvation, about Christianity, about God, and about even Jesus Christ is going to come through the word of Jesus Christ. Now notice how the Apostle Paul handles this. First of all, there were those who were more noble, those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Now, I've already brought this verse out, but I want to bring it out in a different light now. Think about it from a logical standpoint. If God had set us up in the Christian age to have God appear before us in some kind of manifestation, or if Christianity was set up that God was going to talk to us directly and give us personal revelations that He's given nobody else. Why in the world did those in in Berea, who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, why in the world did they receive the Word with all readiness of mind and search the Scriptures daily? Why did they waste their time doing that if all they needed to do was wait on God to talk to them directly? Wait on God to come visit them in a dream or wait on God to come talk to them in some small, still voice in their head. Why go through all that struggle and trouble if all they simply had to do was wait for God to come talk to them? Why did they have to receive the Word with all readiness of mind? Why did they have to search the Scriptures, not just once or twice, but daily to see if the things that were being said were so? Why did they not just get a message from God and saying, yep, that's the truth, you just go ahead and believe it? 
Well, the reason being, as I alluded to, is because of what Paul tells us in this particular verse here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Notice the points that he is making. First of all, he says, all Scripture, not just some Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice what he's done. He's told us all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is for the purpose to find our doctrine, for find our reproof, for find our correction, for find any instruction in righteousness. Now, why has God given us all Scripture inspired of Him for these reasons? Verse 17 makes the conclusion that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, if somebody says they get a personal revelation from God, they have made Paul a liar right here. Paul says, every single thing that you need is in the Scriptures. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else because what He has given you has made you totally complete. He has thoroughly furnished everything that you need as far as Christianity, as far as salvation, as far as worship, as far as everything you need for faith and practice in the religious world. There's no need for anything else. And so if someone says they need to add something, then they're saying that Paul is not true here. But also notice what happens. Oftentimes, when people say they have a personal revelation from God, it is usually something that contradicts what God's Word has already said. Now think about that from a logical standpoint. Why in the world would God put something down in print in His Bible and say it's this way, and then go along some other time and say, no, I really didn't mean what I said there. I've come to you personally to tell you that it's different. That what I said before doesn't apply. That, it only, that because I talk to you directly, then the Scriptures aren't what they really are. Now think about that. Think about the confusion with that. If there was one person who said, well, I received a personal revelation from God and that caused me to believe this and somebody else says, well, I've received a personal revelation from God and it's directly opposed to what you're saying. Well, how would you argue that? Could both of them be right? One could be right, one could be wrong, or both of them could be wrong. Instead, the Bible says every single thing that we need is right here in God's Word. It's funny to me how many times that people use a personal revelation for God as a crutch to defend their position on something that the Bible clearly teaches against. In the days of the Old Testament, and also in the early days of the church before we had the Scripture, if one man said he had a revelation from God, and it was one thing, and another man said he had a revelation from God, and it was a different thing from what this man said, how was it proven Well, before the Scripture, the man who really had a revelation from God, he was able to perform a miracle. The Bible says we don't need to have that today. When someone says this is what God says and someone else says this is what God says, all we have to simply do to go to God's Word to find out what God says. The Bible is complete. It's all we need. We don't need a personal revelation from God. But with that being said, what's the right way to find truth? Well, you should know by now if you've been listening to everything that I've said, but the right way to find God's truth 
is found in God's Word. The scripture that we just had up on the screen from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 16 remind us of this once again. And the Apostle Paul said that all Scripture is inspired by God and is able to provide everything that we need as far as instruction, as far as reproof, as far as correction, as far as any kind of training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, and furnish unto every good work. Every single thing that we need is found in God's Word. Either all of God's Word is inspired or it's not inspired. We can't have just pieces of it. Either all of it applies, either that's the only place to find what God's truth is, or that it's not found anywhere. If we do not take the Bible as God's final truth, then we might as well just throw it in the river or light a match to it, throw it in the trash because it's just not worth anything. Either all of God's Word is final truth or it's not. The other day I was talking to my daughter Katie about a young man that she was studying with and and this guy took the particular position that he believed that some of the Bible was inspired but some of it wasn't. And the reason why he believed that is because he wanted to hold to certain practices in worship and discount what the Bible said but yet he didn't want to give up what the Bible said about things that made him feel good. So Katie said, just asked him, he said, well, how, how in the world do you decide what is inspired and not inspired. And he just simply said, well, I can tell by the way I feel about it. Well, folks, if it's not all inspired, then none of it's inspired. We can't pick and choose. If there's ever a possibility that some part of it's not right, then there's a possibility of none of it being right. If we're truly going to be truth seekers, we need to be those who follow the truth. We need to be those who, as Jesus said in the section we just read, that the words that he speaks, are truth, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We understand and appreciate the fact that in Jude chapter 3, Jude reminds us that the faith has once been delivered for all. There's not going to be any more revelation. There's not going to be any more scripture. But what we have, we now have. It is God's truth, and we need to follow it. Oftentimes when I'm talking to someone in the neighborhood or at work or some other place, and they ask me about the congregation here. What is the Church of Christ all about? How are you different from other places? And there's obvious all kinds of different ways I could explain that. I could tell them that we're part of the restoration movement, how we're trying to restore New Testament Christianity. I could tell them how that we are people who believe in first century Christianity and how we're trying to be like the people you read about in the New Testament. There's a variety of different ways that I could go about it, but usually the number one thing I tell them is that I worship and I am a part of a congregation of people who are truth seekers. They want to find out what the truth is. They understand and appreciate the fact that their very salvation is based upon what truth is. They understand and appreciate the fact that whether or not they are pleasing to God is based upon what truth is. So I hope that every single person here is is here because you are a truth seeker. We know that there are those here who have come out of mainline denominations. And the reason why they came out of mainline denominations or some other religious group is because they were truth seekers. And once they discovered what God's Word says, they had the kind of heart 
the truth-seeking heart to do what God wanted them to do and leave that particular group and simply be a Christian continuing to search out what God's truth and His will is for them. If you're here this morning and you want to know what the truth is about your salvation, if you want to know what God's Word says, which is truth about your salvation, well, we'd love to spend some more time, more time and study with you. But it's our hope and prayer this morning as you leave this place, you'll understand the importance of seeking the truth. As Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.